Good morning. So glad to see you guys here in the building. Let me say this to all of you who are here with us and those of you who are joining us from one of our campuses. Welcome back. It's so good to see your faces, even if it's only half of your faces. I'm grateful for just that much. And I know there's so many more of you who are joining us online, and we're grateful that you are with us as well. Hopefully it will not be too long before we can all be back in our buildings again. Just to introduce myself, I'm Adam Martin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And let me pray for us before we jump in. I've got a question I want us to think about, but I want to pray for us first. God, we do thank you for the opportunity to be here, whether it's here physically in one of our buildings or we are sitting on a couch. We are grateful to be this family of people and we're eager to hear from you. We believe that you've got something for us this morning. And so we pray that you give us ears to hear it, eyes to see it, and a heart that's courageous to do something with it. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So let me start with this question. How many of you know that sometimes small changes can make big differences. Anybody know that to be true? I'll give you an example. When our son Matthew was like a year and a half, he loved Elmo. Elmo was his favorite Sesame Street character. If you need a point of reference, here's Elmo right here, that guy. And so he loved Elmo, but he couldn't say Elmo's name. He said Elno with an N, not an M, which is not a big deal unless you're in public and he saw Elmo. Like if we were in Target and he saw Elmo, he would start screaming his name. El no, el no, el no. And for us, we're like, hey, we're trying to distract him with anything. He's like, you want a snack? You want anything else? No, el no, el no. And these parents coming by are like, why is this one-year-old cussing out his parents? Like it, small change, big difference, right? Just one letter. Or how about this? Our daughter last year, she was applying to colleges. And when she did, she got, started getting her acceptance letters back, and she decided she would apply to our alma mater. Dana and I graduated from University of South Carolina just a few years ago. And so that wasn't a joke. None of you were supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> and so she applied, got her acceptance letter, and then they started peppering her with emails, promoting their different programs. And this was one of the emails that she got. I want to share it with you. Now, it's a nice email. It's encouraging. But if you didn't see it, let me circle it for you. That's a problem. Like, you, you can't send that out. You might get away with that if you're the college faux science or the college faux business. But if you're the college faux education, you got to spell the word right. She did not choose South Carolina. <laughs> Come on, South Carolina. Or, or how about this? A few weeks ago, we started meeting again here in the building. Our staff for this whole pandemic season has been just stupid busy. Like, I don't know how we've been so busy, but it's been crazy. And so we decided a few weeks ago that it was time we would try to get back into the buildings and do the social distance and the masks and all the things so that we could do this safely. And so we knew that we were out of practice. We knew that we would get here and there would be things that we just, we just weren't in the routine of thinking about. So I got here early. For the, set, for the 9 o'clock service, I got here about 7.45. I just wanted to make sure we had all the bases covered, right? So immediately, right when I got here, the hustle started. I mean, I was running from one side of the building to the other, and it just never stopped for like three-plus hours. It never stopped until finally at about 11.15, I got a moment, and I decided, gosh, I haven't used the restroom all morning. I'm going to go into the men's bathroom and use the restroom. So I stepped up to the urinal and went to unzip my zipper only to realize it was already down. And not one of you told me about it. 
All these people who came that weekend, not one of you told me my zipper was down. I know if I had been at our Greenville campus or our Columbia campus, they'd have told me, but you guys didn't say a word. For three plus hours, I walked around with my zipper down. I don't have a slide for that, and you're welcome. <laughs> I'm not sharing that. I'm a little burnt about it, so next time, just help me out. Would have been a small change that made a big difference, right? Big difference. For the last few weeks, we've been in this series called It's Not Over. And after the year that we've all had in 2020, I'm wondering if we shouldn't have renamed it, Is It Over Yet? Because that's kind of how we feel. It's like, golly, can this just change? I'm beginning to think that, like, most of us have this idea of let's just finish 2020. Let's get it over with. But I believe, I do believe that there's still time. Despite how crazy this year has been, there's still time to make 2020 a great year. Most of us would say that we're ready to see some changes, not the small changes that I was talking about. I mean big changes. We're ready to see a lot change in 2020 in order for it to be a great year. And so today I want to look at someone in the Bible who in the later part of his life was facing some challenging circumstances. Abram was a man who wanted to see some stuff change in his life. There were things going on that he wasn't happy about. He was frustrated he wanted to see some things change, and he was actually frustrated with God that these changes hadn't come about yet. But from Abram's life, we're going to see that with God, it is not over. It's never over. And so let me give you a little bit of background before we jump in. First of all, you'll, know, you'll notice that I'm saying Abram, not Abraham, and that's because his name didn't change until later, which we're going to look at. I promise we'll get to that. But he was, this, when he was born, he was given the name Abram. And he was born in a place called Ur. His father was a man named Terah. He had two brothers, but one of them passed away. He was married to a, one, a woman named Sarai, who he loved very much. The greatest challenge for Abram and Sarai is that they weren't able to have any children. And this was a big deal. This was a point of pain in Abram's life. It was a big deal in Hebrew culture to have children for many reasons. But a few of them would be like one would be protection. It was important to have children for protection. Smaller nations were vulnerable to bigger ones. And so the more children you had, the greater the population and the greater the size of the army that you could build to defend your, your country. Another reason children were important was prosperity. The more children you had, the more people you could put to work in the family business to help it grow and become successful. And another reason that children were important was security. There were no 401ks or social security back then. So children were your security. The more children you had, the more people who might be available to take care of you in your old age. So children were important for multiple reasons. And Abram and Sarai were frustrated that they hadn't had any yet. Later in the season of Abram and Sarai's life together, this was a, a point of great pain for them. They wanted to see this change. And in his most raw and honest moments, Abram was angry with God about this. He, he wasn't just angry at the circumstances. He was angry with God himself. He wanted to see his circumstances change. And I think that brings us to one of the first points in our message today, which is, which is this. If we want to see big changes in our lives, then we may have to be willing to make some big sacrifices. 
if we want to see big change, big change usually requires big sacrifice. That's just the bottom line. Most of you know that. That's not a profound thing. God had been clear with Abram that he intended to bless him with children, but it hadn't happened yet, and it was going to cost Abram something. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about on a map. This might become clear if I use this. So here's the area where Abram was born and raised. You see this spot down here called Ur of the Chaldeans. It's near the Persian Gulf. It's near two very important rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates, which if you're in the desert, a river's a good thing. So up to the north, you see a place called Haran. And then down to the southwest, you see a place called Canaan. That would later become Israel. So Abram was born in Ur. His father was a man named Terah. It was an affluent city near these two rivers, center for lots of trade, a center for lots of commerce, and, and weirdly, the center for lots of idol worship. In fact, it was said of Ur, if you didn't have a god, go to Ur to shop for a god. You could go to Ur and find this plethora of gods to choose from. But the primary god that they worshipped in Ur was the moon god. And this is most likely who Terah, Abram's father, worshipped. Well, one day Terah decides to up and move his family to Canaan. But to do it, he goes way up to Haran and oddly never moves on from there. That's as far as he went. Now, a, a couple possible reasons. One is that in Haran, they worshiped the same God that they worshiped in Ur, the moon God. This would have been comfortable for Terah. This would have been familiar to him. So it's possible he stayed in Haran just because that was what he knew. But it's also possible he stayed there because you heard me say earlier that Abram had two brothers and one of them passed away. Well, that brother's name was Haran. And it's possible that Terah never moved on from the city that shared his name simply because he couldn't overcome the pain of that loss. Now, whether it was because he couldn't overcome the pain of losing a son or he wanted to stick with something that was familiar to him, we know that Terah never moved on from Haran. He died there. And I wonder how many of us would say that we're kind of in a similar boat. We're stuck in something that's just familiar to us. It may not be great for us, but it's familiar. Or we're afraid to move on because of some pain that we've experienced. From Abram's life, we're going to learn that there's a different way here. So in chapter 12, God reveals his big plan for Abram. God tells him, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. But what was Abram's part going to be in all of this? What would he have to do? We see in verse one, the Lord said to Abram very clearly, go, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. God wanted to do some big things in Abram's life. He, he wanted to change the trajectory of where he was going and who he was becoming. But to experience that, Abram was going to have to make some sacrifices. He would have to let go of what was comfortable to him. In Ur and Haran, those places were comfortable. He grew up there, but they were not places. They were not communities that were known for worshiping God. God would move Abram on into a new place where he could learn to follow God only. Because I, I don't know if you know this, but God is not interested in simply being one of the gods we worship. As the one who made us, he wants to be the only God 
we worship because he knows how to satisfy us completely in the deepest places of our heart. And he knows that the gods we create, they will never do that. Tim Keller says that when we choose to worship other gods, other than the one true God who made us, we are simply medicating the inner emptiness they create. Medicating the inner emptiness. It sounds like a tagline for our country right now, doesn't it? Like America, medicating our inner emptiness. It's ridiculous, but it's happening all around us. You're never going to bump into anybody at church or at work to say, hey, man, how's it going? Only to hear them respond, oh, good, good. I'm just medicating my inner emptiness, you know. No one's going to say that, but that's what's happening. It's exactly what happens when we worship other gods in our lives. Could be the God of power, could be the God of comfort, the God of control, the God of achievement, or any other God we create. They seem like they will fulfill us, but in the end, they only disappoint because they were never designed to satisfy the deepest places of our hearts. Only the maker of our hearts can do that. And for that reason, the journey wasn't over for Abram. God called him to keep moving to Canaan, to the land that he wanted to show him. God wanted to build a community around Abram who could help him worship the one true God. You know, I was, I was recently with a small group of guys who they didn't know each other yet. And I don't know if you know this about guys, but they can kind of be weird in a small group. <laughs> they, they're immediately trying to figure each other out. They're sizing each other up because they're all asking the same question. Can I be real here? We're terrified to be real. And they're all asking, can I let my guard down and be real with these guys? And so sensing the tension, I decided to try to break it. And I said, listen, guys, I know you don't know each other yet. And I know you don't have any reason to trust each other right now, but can I tell you that you need each other? I know this because I need you. I know that left to myself, it's only a matter of time before my own life falls off the rails. And I know that's not a me thing. That's all of us. We need each other to help us follow God. One of my favorite authors who's not C.S. Lewis. I realize I have a reputation for never doing a message without a C.S. Lewis quote, but today's the day. This is Klaus Isler. He says, the bottom line is that we need one another to be like Jesus. God himself has a communal expression, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even our knowledge of God is incomplete without one another. The fullest knowledge of God attainable by human beings will only come about within a growing and God-knowing community of people. Thus, to know God more fully cannot be achieved without the community of believers. It can be a really good thing to take inventory of who is in your life. Who is the community that has surrounded you? Are they people who will only help you continue being who you have always been, as was the case with Tara? Or are they people who will help you become who you were made to be, as was the case with Abram? We need a community of people around us who can encourage us, inspire us, challenge us, even confront us. We all need that. Do You have those kind of people in your life. It's a really good weekend to ask the question because this weekend at all of our campuses is Connect Weekend, which means 
It's the easiest time for you to shop for a small group of people who might become that community that can help you grow closer to God. The easiest way for you to do it is going to be to text the word connect to 320-320. You'll immediately receive a link, and if you follow a few steps from that link, you'll be able to see a whole bunch of small groups that are available to you that you can jump into, full of people that might, some might be weird, and you can jump into another small group. That's okay. But some might be that community of people who can help you follow God. Another way you could do it is to join us for the inside track. Inside track is something we do. We start at the beginning of every month, so it'll kick off next weekend here at all of our campuses. It's a great place for you to get to know more about us as a church and give us a chance to get to know more about who you are and help you find that community of people that can encourage and challenge and inspire you. If we want to see changes in our circumstances, then we may need to make some sacrifices. Abram needed to let go of some relationships that were probably very comfortable and very familiar to him. He needed to put himself in a community of people who could push him to become who he was made to be. And like Abram, we need that kind of community in our lives if we want to grow in our faith. So that's the first point. Big change is always going to require big sacrifice. The second thing that we can learn from Abram's life as he was troubled by his circumstances in these later years is that just because God hasn't changed your circumstances, it doesn't mean he isn't changing you. Just because he hasn't changed our circumstances doesn't mean he's not at work changing us. We, we can see some evidence of this in chapter 17 of Genesis, but it comes, becomes clearest when we compare it with what we see in chapter 15. In chapter 15, God tells Abram, I am your shield and your very great reward. And the next words are, but Abram. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I still remain childless? Now the word but, it's, it's a conjunction. It's used to compare two ideas that are different from one another. So what the text is telling us here is that God makes this encouraging promise to Abram and Abram is still not happy. He's frustrated because he still had no children. So that's Abram in chapter 15. But let me show you Abram in chapter, 15, in chapter 17. God makes another promise to him, almost the same promise, actually. He says, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And then I will make my covenant with you and greatly increase your numbers and Abram responds very differently than he did in chapter 15. The text tells us Abram fell face down. Quite a different response. Chapter 15, God makes a promise to Abram, and Abram responds with a complaint. Chapter 17, God makes nearly the same promise to Abram, and Abram responds in humility. Something had changed. Just because God hasn't changed your circumstances doesn't mean he isn't changing you. To make this even clearer for us, God does something else in this chapter that's worth noticing. In verse 4, God says to Abram, this is my covenant with you. I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations, and I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. 
And he does the same thing for Sarai, his wife. In verse 15, God said to Abram regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations and kings of nations will be among her descendants. What's interesting to me is how similar these two name changes are. Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. They're both given the Hebrew letter hey, which is like our H. It's the only letter that's in God's name twice, Yahweh. It would seem that God is trying to make something very clear to both Abraham and Sarah by telling them that their identity, their true identity is connected to him. But this kind of brings up an interesting question, at least in my mind it does. Did God change their identity here or did he simply make them aware of who they'd always been? I believe God is just making them aware of something that had always been true about them, that their identities had forever been connected intimately to the God who made them. And I believe that when we experience transformation in life, it's not always about changing who we are. It's about discovering who we are. A lot of times when we discover who we are, we change. It's about discovering the person God made. The person God had in mind when he made us. The person that we were meant to be. So this is an important point for us as we find ourselves in a season where we may want our circumstances to change. Sometimes that change may come quickly, but sometimes it may not come at all. And just because God has not changed your circumstances, it doesn't mean he isn't changing you. And listen. Sometimes the changes that he works in us, that's the far greater blessing than the changes he works in our circumstances. So big change requires big sacrifices. Just because he isn't changing our stuff doesn't mean he isn't changing us. And here's the third thing that I think we, we need to see in Abraham's story because it's, it's loud and clear. Just because God hasn't changed your circumstances doesn't mean he isn't doing something bigger. Just because he hasn't changed what you're experiencing doesn't mean he's not doing something bigger. How many of you would agree that God is often at work in ways that we can't even see? Anybody ever know that to be true? That was about to happen here for Abraham in a way that would forever change everything in his life, but not just his life, our life too. I mean in a way that would dramatically and permanently change everything for us. In fact, let me make you a promise. What I'm about to show you in scripture is one of the most profound and beautiful pictures that I think you'll ever see, but it's often missed. It's easy to miss. In, in chapter 15, God tells Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward, which you would think would encourage Abraham, right? But Abraham was still frustrated because at this later part in his life, he still had no children. And so he complained to God saying, God, at this point, a servant in my household is going to become my heir because you've given me no children. And without becoming angry, God just says to Abram, let's go outside. How many of you know it's about to get very real when God says, let's go outside. God tells Abram, look up at the sky. 
count the stars, if indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. What God was saying to Abram in this moment is that your circumstances may be all you can see right now, but that's not all I can see. Just because I haven't answered this prayer of yours doesn't mean I'm not doing something bigger. And then it happened. Then something happened that is so obscure that we almost we miss it almost every time. In fact, for years, I missed it. For years, I read this passage and thought, it's just part of the sacrificial process that I'll never really fully understand. But a few years ago, I started reading some books by this Hebrew scholar that are very long and very boring, and I don't recommend them. But something came into focus for me. Here's what it says in verse 9. This is the picture I want you to see. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old. He told Abram to cut each animal into two pieces, 